Hey everyone, welcome to the show, Undivine Intervention. My name is Janine Kalik, and this, I guess, is the first official episode. And I have my friends Nuran and Jenna from the US talking to me today. Well, actually, we recorded this a couple of days ago, one day before the Nakba, which we do touch on in this episode. And we touch on Ramadan and really bad liberal politics and just general online nonsense. I also wanted to give a shout out to those who are supporting this podcast that's kind of slowly coming together uh, on Patreon. I really appreciate it. You guys rock. If you have any feedback or suggestions, feel free to let me know. I might not always necessarily take it on, but it's always good to know what people are thinking. And that's it from me. We're just going to jump right into it. Welcome, Nuran and Jenna, my guests on Undivine Intervention today. Hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> okay. So you guys are fasting at the moment. It's Ramadan. It's the afternoon, I'm guessing, for both of you in California, New Hampshire. How are you holding up this Ramadan? Dude, I'm hungry. And this is like my first Ramadan where like I'm responsible for the food. Like it doesn't just appear on its own. So it's kind of, it's been like really dramatic for me, but I've also been like, I don't know. It helps the time go by. So I've been trying to cook some like really like, you know, like what? I mean, like, I feel like I'm like a self-sustaining like human being. You know, people keep commenting on my story like, oh, wow, you're a wifey now. You're so wifey. (laughs) I'm like, no, I am sustaining myself. I'm nourishing myself and I'm just doubling the, you know, the amount. That's all that's happening. Don't reduce me. (laughs) You said something before about making... What was it? Layali? Layali Libnani? Layali Libnan. What is that? Yeah. Layali Libnan is basically... Really? Dude, I feel like even though... What? Even though it's called Layali I'm Libnan... I'm Palestinian. Like, I've, no, I've only ever had it at Palestinian ladies' what? houses. Yeah. What? What? What is even, it? They don't even... So it's it's uh it's basically like smeed pudding. And mm-hmm. you just put ashta over it and pistachios and you call it a day. You're like, done, you know? Really good. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what we call it. Isn't um, it like they, they call it something different in Dubnan? I think they hold on. I feel like so let me see what they call it because my my I have a French name about it today. No, you Isn't wish it, like... it was a French name. It's a Christian dessert. So um, it is no, it's called dessert. um it's called mahalabiye. Mahalabiye. Okay, yeah, that's what we call it. What yeah. is this Leilat Leilat Lebnani Lebnan? Yeah. I um I I veto that. What about you, Nodan? How's Ramadan? Um, it's been good. Just like the impending doom of a global pandemic hanging over the spiritual time. I'm trying to I mean, I've definitely been focusing on like spiritual reflection. That's all been good. It's also been a lot easier because I'm like sitting at home doing nothing. Um I just recently had to go back to work yesterday, but, like, for the most part, all of Ramadan has just been, like, being at home. What was work like yesterday? Oh, I, it was terrible. Americans are crazy, though. There were, like, people walking around in my local mall and, like, not, we didn't necessarily have a ton of customers, but, like, it was fascinating that there were people walking outside and, like, walking around with their kids. And, like, every store in the mall right now is closed except for, like, three stores. Why are you here? 
Um, so it was fascinating. But the dynamic of like fasting too, when you have a, ma- a mask on is just so painful because your fasting breath is just like in your nose. <laughs> <laughs> just circulating the that bad morning breath that like sticks around. The Ramadan quarantine like clash or whatever has made me realize that I spent so much of my free time eating while being at home before Ramadan and like now I've actually been forced to find real hobbies so like I've painted a few times during Ramadan read I've started like reading books again maybe for the first time since I was in like middle school which is so sad but um (laughs) reading for fun I should say because I read for my classes but yeah definitely like a lot of your free time is spent eating when you're not fasting and it was like oh wow I'm forced to be productive quote unquote Aside from eating this Ramadan, I have noticed you guys are tweeting also. I wanted to to chat about some of the weirdness on Twitter, especially this week. It's been a bit gross and ugly and kind of unsettling, especially because Nakba, I mean, in Australia, it's going to be an early Nakba. For those who don't know what the Nakba is, it is the anniversary of the catastrophe and the ethnic cleansing of Palestine in 1948. So how are we coping with with online, with online things? I love that we're having this conversation because we're all extremely online. Like we're online (laughs) enough where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe Nakba denial is happening again in 2020 on Twitter. Like that's (laughs) where we're at. I feel like I'm past the point though of like feeling unsettled. Like it's just so, it's just so like, freaking obvious at this point like who dehumanizes Palestinians and who doesn't and who looks for any opportunity to like victim blame us and who doesn't like I just recently wrote an article and it was about like the impact of coronavirus on Palestinian refugees in Jordan and like besides like if you take out from the equation the fact that Israel is the reason these refugees were displaced in the first place none of the rest of the article had like anything to do with Israel like these refugees like never got Jordanian citizenship. Like that's not necessarily like Israel's fault. Um, they live in poverty, XO, like all of this stuff. But clearly, like the root of the problem is like their initial displacement from the Nexe. But like I still had Zionists like in my mentions or like commenting on Facebook, like this is fake Pallywood. I'm like, bro, like this doesn't even have to do with Israel. Like make yourself consistent. Like if you're gonna be an online defender of Israel who just 24/7 is like looking for Palestinians to harass like do you even know consistency like and these are the same Zionists who are like you know Palestinians never talk about Arab oppression of Palestinians blah 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 then you do talk about it and you talk about Israel's oppression of Palestinians and they're like actually this is all fake this is all Pallywood right so nothing surprises me anymore and like Twitter is definitely a cesspool And all of these Zionists just have, like, way too much time on their hands. And, like, they just go out of their way to, like, find anything. Like, even just using the word Palestinian, my mentions will be, like, like, some dude just yesterday, like, added me and was, like, linking me to an article and was, like, the Palestinian people are fake. They said so themselves. And, like, linked me to this fake article. Just linked me to this article that was, like, Palestinians didn't exist after the Ottomans. And it's, like, dude, like, Rashid Khalidi is so well-versed on Palestinian history. Like, it takes reading one of his books to know that the Palestinian identity has existed prior to Zionism and even during the Ottoman time. What about the argument that Arabic doesn't have the letter P? Sorry. Oh, my, that's my favorite (laughs) argument. 
I love it. I love it. It's just so fucking stupid. In conclusion, yeah. <laughs> Zionists be wilding. Nothing surprises me anymore. What's interesting though is to see like the what's it called like the evolution of their argument because like in the beginning you know like you want to go way back when you know the word colonialism was fine using words like you know moving people around aka ethnic cleansing aka displacement all that like those that kind of terminology it was just like thrown around like hey yeah we're a colonialist project we're really interested in like doing this here like hey it was just thrown around and like and then you see like a few years back like historians very would really casually be like yeah the Nakba happened but it didn't happen well enough like there was too many leftover Palestinians there you see all of these quotes but like yeah and you see all these old like older like uh, Israeli politicians and all those Zionist politicians that like very very clearly laid out we're ethnically cleansing you you gotta go we have an ethno-nationalist settler colonialist like state to put in, like nation state to put in here and then like suddenly the arguments changed to like that actually never happened but if it did you're all dirty Arabs and you deserved it so it's just like so funny to see that it's like it depends on what terminology depends on like what facts are acceptable now where like they change their argument it's like cool it's all still on the internet though it's all still in like historical records we we see it but okay i guess don't forget like liberal zionists literally they think that they're special because they're like actually we do acknowledge that this happened to you but we think that you should get over it <laughs> like like that's basically the liberal zionist like existence in a nutshell it's like yeah we admit that like all of these terrible things happened and that like ethnic cleansing happened but, like, we think Palestinians should get over it. Just to give people some context of the discussion that we're having, someone had tweeted, someone who is Palestinian and who used to be kind of quote-unquote prolific on Twitter tweeted a thread. Do you guys mind if I, if I read it? Do we want to talk about it? Do we want to indulge it? How do we feel? Oh, yeah. Let's read the first tweet and then let's go. Let's analyze it. Okay. Okay, So thread in capital letters. Why I'm no longer anti-Zionist. Why I condemn Hamas. In brackets, not that I've ever supported them. Why I believe in peace for Israelis and why I take back the nasty, ignorant things I have said in the past. Brackets last year. Please listen and have an open mind. And then he just goes on in this thread just basically like conflating Palestinians with Hamas and also he makes the declaration that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and this was someone who I guess I don't know he's pretty much a clout chaser and was quite ardently like anti-Zionist in a really superficial way prior to this what the fuck (laughs) also like why do we think I guess there's been that kind of flip. I mean, it's it's rare, obviously, and people are, are, are telling him to eat shit. I, I don't... So in, in that thread, I read it, it hurt my heart, but it, reading that thread, in one sentence he had said something like, oh, he's going to start thinking for himself because he's done his own research. And Basaraha, like, I don't think there's any part of me that believes that he actually did his own research because, like, if you do, that's not the information you're going to find. You know? Like, yeah, they're just talking like, points. Half of, 
exactly half of what we do is go and look for hasbara like um you know talking points the, all this propaganda and stuff like that like this stuff does not show up unless you are looking for it and it's probably gonna lead you to like a wordpress not like an actual like not like actual like factual resources so like i fully believe that this is from like maybe like talking to one person and i don't know part of me part of me thinks that there's something else to it but and when i say something else to it i mean like threats against him and his family something like that i have no idea but also like i don't know the way that he's moving on the timeline like it doesn't it doesn't say that either because he's like purposely drag like he could have just left it at that thread but he's like dragging down palestinians he's um encouraging zionists and he's using gal really- gadot gifts as well oh, and he's changed exactly, his like, header photo to tel aviv and it's just like going fucking above calm and down. beyond for what dude using mm. very liberal zionist talking points that are torn down like that and a lot of people have tried to talk to him tried to message him and like given him actual resources and he's completely ignoring it which is why i don't believe that this is like a sudden change of heart based off of like factual findings like it's something else i don't know what for, it is for the record i don't think any of us really care about like him or what he has to say but i think it's just the frustration is that it becomes like ammo for these like very annoying Mm -hmm. kind of liberal zionists and he's been retweeting comments like you know oh like arab jewish solidarity when it's pretty clear that you know he's just essentially kind of pinned the blame on on palestinians yeah, and there's a reason why Arabs that are like spew this kind of rhetoric, they 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 blow up and get so famous because they're propped up by by Zionists and by these like Israeli institutions like that Lebanese dude that like how was your whole career being a Zionist? Like Which that one? that doesn't just happen. That oh my god, Ish Isma dude. He's some <laughs> Lebanese dude that like Min Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, something Khoury. I think Jonathan mm. Jonathan Khoury. Lame. But, like, there's a reason that people can just, like, spend all, like, like move like it's their full-time job. Because these kinds yeah. of figures, these, these like, personalities are valuable to their propaganda. Great. Also, this is just, like, why identity politics is so problematic. And, like, why mm-hmm. the left in general, like, mm-hmm. need to abandon, like, identity politics as, like, any vehicle in terms of, like, as a vehicle of praxis in general, because when we, like, put out identity politics, this is what happens, like, the right has, like, picked up on it, and now they have, like, you have Candace Owens, who's, like, that token, like, you know, black conservative, and you get Mm. someone like Yasmin Muhammad, who, like, has this insane story that I just find really hard to believe, Um, and, you know, but, you know, I don't even care, like, my thing is, like, I'm not gonna care if someone is an ex-Muslim or not, like, whether it's her or, like, Ayan Hirsi Ali, like, that's irrelevant but like it's fascinating that they all when they become ex-muslims also buy into the far-right discourse also become unbelievably pro-israel and that's because they're grifters Mm -hmm. and that's because like we've made identity politics this just like quick coin that people can like use to be like to serve their Mm -hmm. own self-serving agenda and like ego chasing and like there's so much to this story um i thank you jenna for like pointing out that like there's the possibility of like he's under threat like we know that this is a thing but something that also makes me question that is people have been people have been apologetic about their like anti-zionist past in like before in order to get off of cannery mission and cannery mission usually will publish those people's like testimonies quote unquote and even those testimonies are not um as like up 
the ass of Zionism, so to speak, in some nice English, as this person's like newfound, you know, realization. He went above and beyond. He went above and beyond. And so like, for me, there's really only two possibilities. The first one is like, he's been cyber squatted. Like, I forgot that this was a thing up until like a few hours ago. But but, like, cyber squatting happens when someone like, finds someone who used to have a big Twitter personality is like old username. And they'll like take that old username and like impersonate that person or they'll just like impersonate their online persona so like part of me is wondering like just in terms of like benefit of the doubt for this dude like is it possible that he's being cyber squatted because like Mm -hmm. he isn't even speaking Arabic right like this is something to notice in people's like online presence if they claim to be Palestinian like I know I know not every like diaspora Palestinian can speak and like read and write Arabic but like when an account is like all in English and like all their tweets are to a certain audience like it just raises eyebrows so like that could be one possibility but another one could be that he really is becoming a grifter and he really wasn't solid in his anti-zionist positions before and i really appreciate that janine said when you first started speaking about him you said that his positions were superficial and i just think that this is a problem in general like across the movement so to speak a lot of people I don't want to say the movement, actually, just like in pro-Palestine solidarity in general. A lot of people are pro-Palestine, but they don't really know what that means. They haven't, mm-hmm. like, done the research. They don't know their own arguments. It's slogan. And this is yeah. why it's so critical for people. They need to know what they're talking about. And this is why we stress, like, listen to Palestinian voices. Like, don't let anyone who just is pro-Palestine be a spokesperson. Because a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. They're not solid in their positions. And this is why liberal Zionism is like dangerous for those people because it sees their superficial or like shallow understanding of the conflict. And liberal Zionism's arguments are all shallow and superficial. And it's very easy to just like scoop up those people with a net. Um, unless, so like, I don't know. So it's very possible that he's someone who just had these shallow opinions and like, who never really did the research, never really knew what he was talking about, and genuinely was scooped up by some liberal Zionist individuals. And like we see him now, he's interacting with some intellectual dark web accounts. <laughs> he very well could become, you know, the next grifter. He could become the next Candace Owens or Yasmin Muhammad or, you know, whoever it is. Um, and it's unfortunate, but this is why like education is important. And I'm dropping the mic here because I talk a lot. But that was, <laughs> but that was great. That was great, though. And I do sanity. I do want to say two things. And Janine, please edit this part out. Why you say canary like that? Oh my gosh! Stop. <laughs> Should I say canary? I'm not editing that out. <laughs> it's a new Hampshire thing, clearly. Really? I'm so glad the Australian isn't getting picked on right now. Canary. It's always me who's like mispronouncing things or not saying it right. Alhamdulillah. Thank like you. This time. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Second thing, it's actually really okay. So I've never heard of that before about the cyber squatting. That's so funny. Um, 
I've never heard of that before, but now that you do mention it, I do two things is that um people that I like that are like his locals said they were like, you know, it's kind of weird. Like I don't see that he ha- that we have any mutuals. Like nobody that we have from real life that knows him actually is following him. It, but also it is a new account. And the second thing is that yesterday I was No, it's from 2015. Oh, for real? Yeah. Okay, no, you're good. Yeah. But was, think about I, it like this. It could be made in 2015. Yeah, exactly. Squatted, they simply took his old username. Yeah. And well, he also um I was I was stalking through some tweets and a few days back it was very like stan Twitter, you know, very stan Twitter. Um, you know, like retweeting all of these like celebrities, all this kind of stuff using like all that terminology and then there's like this sudden switch to like I don't know why I'm no longer anti-Zionist, but when I checked again today because somebody had sent his tweet um, I checked again today, and where he had three hundred and like fifty tweets, he today mm. he has seventy. So I'm wondering if he was like, if whoever is running this account is like erasing their past, real, you know, like real identity. If we're gonna follow this, like, oh, this Twitter mystery conspiracy. is like, know. <laughs> you know, we need to unravel it. It could also be possible though that like when people like look to rebrand themselves, they do that. Like they will clean their accounts up and mm-hmm. like put out a certain personality so like it could be like one of two scenarios like if he's being cyber squatted like it could be someone just like you know working to like make this account seem believable or if it's genuinely him and he's been you know or he's sold out into like this whole grifting scheme like he could just be rebranding we never know so speaking of shitty tweets i also just remembered i don't even want to say his name but that guy who basically said that South Africans weren't viewed as the colonizers, the white South Africans, obviously the Dutch, and that the African National Congress and Nelson Mandela um, didn't view them as colonizers. So yeah, that was a bit of, you know, nice historical revisionism to, to wake up to this week. I just don't understand why there is so much sensitivity when we want to recognize people as like settlers or as colonizers like mm. why why is it that rightfully calling israeli settlers or colonizers or like whatever you want to call them why is that synonymous with like therefore they should all leave like this is the problem like liberal zionists look at palestinians saying like we want liberation we want decolonization and they automatically translate that to well they want every single individual israeli to leave the country or like to be killed or thrown into the sea. And it's like this disingenuous argument is so frustrating. And then like to on the South Africa thing, like why even use that example when you're just proving our point that Mm. Mandela, they did view Mandela and the South African like liberation movement. They clearly viewed the Rhodesians as colonizers. And guess what? Those colonizers are still there, but guess what's also happening? They're decolonizing their country. Like, they're redistributing land now in South Africa, like, post-liberation. So, like, you're literally proving the point of Palestinians that decolonization doesn't equal this, like, horrific scenario that you've painted in your head that just, you know, makes all Palestinians out to be these, like, murderous. It's Mm -hmm. just unbelievable that this is the conversation. And literally this week, a 15-year-old Palestinian boy was shot for what crime by the IDF? Like, the reality versus, like, the antics of what liberal Zionists are, like, envisioning would be the worst-case scenario in a liberated Palestine, just so disconnected from what's happening on the ground. And 
you say something and they'll immediately go, well, you're a diaspora Palestinian. Anyways, like you don't even know what's going on, the gr- like going on in the ground. And it's like, well, you're not even Palestinian, but we're supposed to listen to your analysis on Israel and Palestine. But if God forbid someone speaks on what's happening in Syria or what's happening in Iran or what's happening in Yemen or what's happening anywhere, it's like, well, you're not from those countries. We should elevate their voices. So why is it elevate everyone else's voices? But on Israel and Palestine, Palestinians in the diaspora are expected to take a back seat as if like we aren't connected to what's happening there. It's just very frustrating. And seeing that comparison definitely upset me. So, I mean, this week's been a big week. Of course, the 15-year-old Palestinian boy in Janine who was murdered by IDF soldiers. Earlier, an Israeli soldier was killed because somebody threw a rock at them and they had essentially invaded the town and they had gone in there and you know Palestinians are you know known as rock throwers and that's just like a form of defense against these heavily armed invaders so it was also just very frustrating to see an IDF soldier a heavily armed IDF soldier who invaded who was part of an invading force into the West Bank shouldn't be there is still the victim in it all and there were photos being circulated of his girlfriend crying and it's like this sort of sympathy is not extended to this kind of understanding is not extended to palestinians whatsoever i mean none of the same energy has been like put into talking about the number of kids that were arrested like like 19 year olds like teenage boys that are all arrested for like looking like the culprit like none like like it's it's just so amazing when you see how do I even put this? It's just so amazing when you see the perpetrator's story be like so sen- sensationalized like this and it's it's like we always know that it's happening but it's just really thrown in your face how much Palestinians just absolutely don't matter in the world. Um nobody wants to talk about the fact that uh, a woman's house was literally demolished yesterday too because her son was accused of being the man who, who threw the stone like it's I don't know. It's very specific things are sensationalized when they can feed into the same exact like propaganda that we're consistently hearing. But like all of these things, I'm not sure if it's because I'm sure it's a little bit of both where Palestinians just truly don't matter in the eyes of the world. But also at the same time, it happens so, so often like house, uh, home demolitions, um, kids being arrested, um, you know, it just happens so I don't know if it's like that or if it just happens so often that people just don't care anymore but it's just really interesting and I guess this kind of yeah and it just kind of goes back to what Nuran was saying earlier like how Israelis can so easily paint themselves as a victim all even though the facts are out there that he was an armed soldier armed to the teeth who was in the middle of a home invasion it's just amazing yeah, obviously the Palestinians are supposed to, you know, give them tea when they come into their houses to arrest mm-hmm. their children. <laughs> this is liberal Zionism literally wants us to feel bad for an Israeli tank when it gets scuffed up, but not feel bad for Palestinian civilians when they're mass murdered. And this is why, like, it's just, it's part of me is like, it's not worth even addressing these like logical fallacies. Like it's not worth the time. But then you see that like, the repercussion of not addressing the, like these points that have become normalized is that there is just a complete and utter dehumanization and desensitization to Palestinian suffering in any way, shape, or form. Like, like to the point where we like will not even acknowledge 
the things that are happening right now, like this week, you ask those same people, those liberal Zionists who are saying, oh, it's not fair to, you know, dehumanize the soldier. He had a family, blah, blah, blah. And then in the same breath, they'll, you know, go on about, well, you know, Palestinians are really anti-Semitic. They like want all 7 million Israelis to disappear. And it's like they're doing the dehumanization that they claim to be fighting when they say that they hate Bibi Netanyahu or what, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's compounded by the fact that media outlets are clearly reporting it in a a completely skewed way and just not acknowledging, like, the context of the situation. And it's sort of like, extra, extra Israeli soldier killed by Palestinian terrorists. And that's like the ongoing narrative and that continues to be perpetuated. So, yeah, if we don't say something, then there's just... I guess, silence, really. And we kind of, for better or worse, kind of need to fill that void with something. We need to, like, stand up and say something and we need to point it out. But, yeah, it's just extremely exhausting. It just goes to show, like, how little has actually changed. Materially, like, a lot has changed. But I feel like, yeah, there have been shifts in how, like, these narratives or these, like, myths are sort of used, as, like, Jenna was saying earlier. It's just, like, the same ongoing dehumanizing discourse we were discussing this before and i'm sure we've also discussed this with a lot of palestinian friends or family members where it's like we always have to be like conscious of our palestinian identity and how it affects the way like we navigate through like school or work our careers one thing i'll like add to what you're saying janine is like there is no bigger proof that we're in the same position narrative wise it seems like the narrative has shifted for palestinians but in the reality i don't think the narrative has shifted i just think we have more access to platforms that allow Mm. our voices to be heard but the narrative has not shifted it is 2020 and daniel pipes who i cannot believe is still alive and croaking is able (laughs) to write an op-ed for the new york times that literally just regurgitates like zionist talking points from the 1960s like you know we thought that we got rid of we thought that we like destroyed those arguments like a while ago right like we had our man like Edward Said like we had like all of our people out there like academics like Palestinians who are experts in this field who like went out there like did their work and like disseminated these arguments completely and destroyed them and then they're still the mainstream Daniel Pipes is still getting called to write this stuff and you know the annexation of the West Bank is still looked at from the lens of what's um you know what's bad for israel versus like what's Mm. actually harming palestinians he also had his his excellent follow-up commentary where he said that like i wrote this article because palestinians need to get it through their head that they lost and it's just amazing that that argument can exist in the same in in like the same universe and the same galaxy as well the palestinians were never there in the first place Oh, it's always been, it's always been, like, they, they, they exist within the same world, like, both arguments that are regurgitated by the same people. If we lost, what did we lose? I mean, firstly, we haven't lost. Palestinians are still there. They're resilient. They're still on the ground. And refugees, the millions of refugees are still in a state of limbo, but as always, resilient. If we're going to run with your little argument that Palestinians have lost, all right, fucking reparations right of return. They don't know what argument to make because any argument they have to make requires that they either recognize our existence, recognize the Nakba, or recognize that the land is not solely historically belonging to one people. And there's just Mm. no way for them to make any argument that is coherent or makes sense or is not based in Islamophobia or just like anti-Arab Orientalism. There's no way for them to make that argument logically. 
And that's why it's like even more frustrating that the intellectual dark web, you, you know, all of those <laughs> extremely smart guys, um, or just like people who claim to be open-minded <laughs> thinkers, like that Twitter user changed his user or changed his bio the next day, the Palestinian one changed it to say, you know, Palestinian, and I'm like an open thinker, like I think for myself. This is a trend in the Arab world too, like unfortunately, like Arab liberals have co-opted like these ideas of like free speech and free thought, free thought, and made them pro-Israel positions. And it's just unbelievable because it's like your whole existence is based on finding what's logical, finding what's rational, rational thinking, you know, I, you know, I read Focal or like I read you know, whoever it is. And like, I listen to Jordan Peterson and that's who makes sense to me, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the day, like their support for Israel doesn't even make sense. It's not, it's not based in anything logical. It's just like been branded as like, this is the logical position you should have. And that's just Mm. astounding to me. It's like the, it's like the person that's being like, like intellectually suffocated or like so heavily influenced by their oppressive community is that of like the pro-Palestinian. And once they break out of it, once they break out of conservatism and they're open-minded now, then that thought for some reason is aligned with the white supremacist ideology and Zionism. I don't understand how that happens. It's reactionary, right? You have all these liberal Arabs or liberal like Muslims who co-opt these talking points because they think that the opposite of Arab conservatism and obviously like issues within like the communities and whatnot is the opposite of it is Israeli quote unquote liberalism and democratic values and and, and it's a very it props up whitewashed pinkwashing talking points really. So in the case of like that guy on Twitter, I remember him just being sort of like, you know, obviously talking about LGBT issues for a long time and he would get harassed by some people and there are fucking huge issues and there's a long way to go within this extremely huge, diverse Arab, Arab Muslim, Arab, Arab non-Muslim community this global community across the world. There are a lot of things that we have to contend with and there are baby steps in terms of the LGBTI struggle. But yeah, I just feel like if they don't feel welcome or for whatever reason, God, I'm losing my voice. It's almost out of a kind of spite or a kind of, like you said, like intellectual suffocation. And it's actually, if you were a critical intellectual (laughs) thinker, if you were truly someone of intellect, you would be able to recognize the fact that there are injustices, great injustices that you can acknowledge. And you can also acknowledge like lateral injustices and violence and harassment within like different community groups, right? So I feel like a lot of these liberal Arab slash Muslim folks online who overnight become like these ardent Zionists are because they're like, well, Muslims and Palestinians don't accept gay people. And it's like, fuck, yeah, there's like such a long way to go. That's not to say that there is zero acceptance, but it's something that people within those communities have taken upon themselves to address, and that's their struggle. And they can carry that struggle while like fully acknowledging that for a queer Palestinian, the Palestinian liberation is just as important to their struggle as a queer Palestinian. So yeah, that's that's just how I often see it me like I just see these discussions online and I've just you know I'm so tired I've come to the conclusion that like none of this is actually based in like you know genuine care for the LGBTQT community Mm. because if you look Mm. at who like the demographic makeup is of Arab liberals and Arab secular liberals specifically who try to perpetuate this like 
I'm, you know, I'm, you know, pro-Israel because I'm progressive, blah, blah, blah. Um, they are not queer people. They are not mm. people of marginalized backgrounds in the Middle East. They hold privileged identities. They are not, they are usually cis people. They're cis, they're straight. They're like, look at the whole Saudi hashtag that was like, mm. which is Palestine is not my cause. Those were those were thousands of people tweeting and sharing that hashtag and who would most likely fall into that spectrum of the arab liberal maybe not so much secular but it doesn't matter because muhammad bin salman fits into that category They're, those aren't people with marginalized identities those aren't people who are like i'm being forced to support israel because i'm given no other options because my existence is blah 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 those are people who are in privileged positions within their society regardless of where they live in the arab world and they're making this conscious decision to support Zionism and pinkwash and claim that their support is based on progressive values, blah, 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 because they know that their support is based on racism, on anti-Palestinian mm. racism specifically, and they have no other way to cover it up. And so they go for, you know, tokenizing these progressive causes and claiming that this is why I support Israel. And it's just very, it's very frustrating to see whether it's from like, the stupid like IDW in the West, wherever they operate, like the US, Australia, I guess you guys have a few of them down there. Oh my God, <clears throat> nothing intellectual about them. The oh. Arab liberals in the Middle East, it's just so frustrating. Like they make the most disingenuous arguments and claim to care about women and minorities mm -hmm. and religious minorities. And it's like, we know you don't care. Like you do not care. Like you do not, like you're of these privileged positions. If you really cared, you'd use your privilege as like a Sunni Saudi living in Saudi Arabia or, you know, an Arab Muslim living in Jordan or like Turkey, wherever the hell you live. And you'd be working to empower those marginalized communities there instead of doing absolutely nothing mm -hmm. to help them in your home country and just talking 24-7 about how Israel is great because they have a gay pride parade in Tel Aviv once a year. Like, it's just ridiculous. With no mention as to how um, Israel like blackmails gay Palestinians into becoming like infiltrators and um, informants, it's just it's just that's another way that you know that there's like really no care for the LGBT like community in that sense. Like it's literally just like the last leg that these propagandists have to stand on. And also the people that they end up attracting as well and the people that they draw and their supporters are just like all these MAGA chuds and like these conservatives who also don't give a shit about a lot of these causes as well you're basically saying like fuck this kind of conservatism this is an issue but you're indulging another kind because it's like what white western it seemingly falls under this guise of being democratic like that's so orientalist as well and it's like i won't fuck with this conservatism but i'll fuck with that conservatism and that's what i find like and that dude was just retweeting some of those people who were just like, don't take away my guns and Trump and typical conservative personas. Yeah, the overlap is not a coincidence. They're willing to stomach the conservatism of like white Christians because mm -hmm. they will because they view Arab conservatism as like the metric of savagery. Like in their mind, yeah. there can no there can be nothing more sexist than like Arab society and there can be nothing more homophobic than you know those brown people and so like they're viewing it from a racist lens like if they're genuinely not conservative and like claiming to be classical liberals or whatever the hell is like <laughs> the new terminology these days for these people <laughs> like they're if they aren't genuinely conservative and they're people who actually have liberal values but are choosing to still support this all 
they're looking at it from that racist framework of like, you know, conservatism from like Trump and like the MAGA group or like conservatism in Canada or like conservatism in Australia or Europe or whatever. It's bad, but like I'd rather deal with that because there's no way that anything can be as bad as like the savagery of brown people. Like that mm. is straight up how they look at this situation. Speaking of Trump, so you guys have, I think, an election looming ahead in November. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, Bernie Sanders is out. I was a, a Bernie stan. I mean, I still am. Are you guys going to vote? Are you going to, to vote for Biden? Is that the decision <laughs> that you're stuck with right now? I'm not voting for Biden. If I vote for anybody, I'm going to vote for, like, a third party just to piss people off. But I, yeah, I'm not voting for Biden. I'm not a blue no matter who. I most likely will not be voting for Biden. But I've also, like, come to recognize that even if I were to vote for him, I don't think he'll win. Yeah, I genuinely believe that Trump will win in 2020. And, like, people can talk and, like, link me to, like, polls or whatever. But, like, we all know polling is irrelevant. Like, polling vastly miscalculated like how 2016 went Mm -hmm. so I'm just like I don't like know what's gonna happen but all I know is that this like vote shaming that's gonna happen like before November and after from American liberals it's gonna be really gross and of course they're gonna try to blame people who are actually like working to better the dumpster fire that is America like they're gonna shame them for like not believing with all their hearts in electoral politics but like liberals tell on themselves like the fact that one of the most viral images of like the resistance um the american resistance of course is a white woman saying like if hillary won we would all be at brunch that like you you've told on yourself and like i'm sorry that we want better like we're not gonna brunch while black people in this country are still being murdered for taking jogs we're not gonna go out for brunch when people are still getting mass deported we're not going to go out for brunch while there's still sanctions on Iran and just, you know, the, the U.S. funding of the Israeli occupation. And I'm just, I feel so bad because liberals, like, I genuinely pity them. They can't see, like, outside of the bubble they live in. And, like, there's hope for some of them. Like, if you're extremely online, you'll know that Peter Dow has had an amazing transformation. He went from mm. former uh, Hillary Stan. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I remember him from, like, way back when. Oh, I don't know him. He's still problematic because I'm pretty sure he was a phalangist in the Lebanese scene. <laughs> yeah, he was. I Because I remember having like a stuff with him about... He yeah. was part of Kitaib. He was part of... That's not good. Glow up enough. Um, Dude, I know. Well, it's I not. He needs to apologize for that. But it's fascinating because he went from being like a hardcore Hillary yeah. stan to being a hardcore Bernie stan this time around. And he's definitely progressive and like socialist now, but... How many Peter like how many people are like Peter Dow in the US who like actually have the capacity to like look beyond electoral politics as like keeping the the most worst guy out of office? Speaking of vote shaming, um Mehdi Hassan as well, who I used to really like enjoy oh watching his his interviews and some of his debates, not all of them. Mehdi may log off. He has, like, actually gone off the rails, I think. Um, <laughs> he keeps conflating. If you don't if you don't vote for Biden, you're voting for Trump. And that makes you a mega racist chart. It's ridiculous. If you want to, like, really, if we're going to blame the non-actual voters that are, um, like, if we want to blame a group of people that aren't voting for Trump for 
like proxy electing Trump, like it's going to be the people that sabotage Bernie. But I'm sorry, but literally when with with Bernie, you had a huge population of youth who otherwise aren't going to vote at all. It's not that like, oh, like we're mad and we are only voting for Bernie because we love Bernie. No, like a lot of us have really valid critiques of Bernie Sanders. It's just the fact that it's the first time that we actually like feel the need to like vote for somebody. It's not that only him and nobody else. It's like this is this is the first time we're even out here. It's the first time we're even like brought into this like conversation. So it's like I'm sorry, but I would I I would I I'm I wouldn't, but if I had to blame somebody, I'm going to blame the Warren and Biden supporters first for uh, like sabotaging Bernie with such this like calculated malicious garbage campaign that they had put out against him. And it's like it's and and then you have like this other side of people that like want to shame uh like you're so like not soups radical because you want you're gonna you're gonna vote for bernie like i don't I, I don't think that you have to be like a super hardcore like out here like i love bernie sanders and you know with no mention of the flaws like i'm not going to do that but at the same time like we how do you not see the like the benefit of of somebody like that, how, like as as a grassroots organizer, will say, how do you not see the benefit of of what had has like at the very least making your job just a little bit easier, um, like as a grassroots organizer, like you have to see the value in that. So it's like I don't know, man, this whole this whole year has been a nightmare. <laughs> I don't even know what to call them. Like I don't like want to use the word tanky. Like I guess that it's like propaganda-ish like I don't know what to call that corner but I know who you're talking about Jenna and it's so frustrating too because like I definitely like went hard for Bernie like New Hampshire is a primary state and like there's not that many Arab Palestinians like in New Hampshire so like I went pretty hard for Bernie like I volunteered like I knocked on doors I was like I really went out and like did my best I went to his like um really big rally that like AOC was at um was like at my alma mater and like it's just really frustrating to see people constantly like they were putting down like the works the work I was doing or like the op-eds I was writing and like I literally wrote an op-ed where I said this is why like Bernie has my vote as a Palestinian American and I literally started it by saying everything wrong that Bernie like is on regarding Palestine that he's a liberal Zionist that he's like his voting record shows that he's a liberal Zionist but I've made it explicitly clear that it is the combination of the fact that he's willing to move on issues and that there's an entire movement behind him of Americans who genuinely are pro-Palestine and showing solidarity and will also will not accept the current U.S. position that has been like the norm for the past few decades and that that would make a change. Just like Jenna said, that would make society somewhat better (laughs) to use an extremely online term. Um, But like... (laughs) Even taking, like, foreign policy, like, out of the equation, I just don't know how you could look at a radical change to our healthcare system, especially now during a global pandemic, and say, actually, Bernie Sanders is the exact same as Biden and the exact same as Trump. Like, healthcare in this country is huge. Like, that would have been huge. People in this country deserve healthcare. And I just, I don't know how it's a radical position to say that you're not going to vote for somebody who wants to help poor and disenfranchised mostly black and brown working people in this country not have to worry about dying in a hospital because they can't afford the rest of their treatment you know what i think it is too i think it's 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 a combination of maybe that like uh 
like there are I feel like there are some people that are like oh you know like he's speaking out of his ass he's not gonna do any of this but there's also the people that and and I agree with this 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 like this crevice of this section of human where where they're like okay like even if he does even if he does want to like um what's it called even even if he does want to pass all these acts like even if he does want to do all these things the way that our um government works is not going to let him do that regardless so why am i going to cape for him this hard like why am i gonna like you know like go in this hard for him uh, like when he's a liberal zionist and like that like that i understand but at the same time i'm just like we we can't like i i, I completely agree, like agree with that position i just also wouldn't go out of my way to like like shame people who like who don't who don't have that position who understand all the critiques of of electoral government who understand all the critiques of Bernie Sanders like dude you're wasting your time coming at coming at somebody who's like who's like at the very least like actually putting in the work you're like whining on the internet i just also feel like people need to people need to think about what conditions would be best for organizing and that's for any yeah. topic mm-hmm. organizing for palestine organizing for black lives matter organizing for immigrant solidarity and migrant solidarity organizing for you know the earth our freaking planet that we live on like healthcare whatever your issue is what conditions would be easier for you to organize under exactly a bernie exactly. sanders presidency <laughs> would have been the easiest conditions for us to work under not a trump presidency where you have half of the us states you know legalizing anti bds laws you're telling mm. me that that's the same people And, like, to just go back, I guess, or, like, come full circle to Biden, like, it's just, it's disgusting to me that liberals are shaming people who are unsure if they want to vote for Biden or straight up saying they don't want to vote for him, shaming them as if he should be earning our votes. Does he think that just because he's running against Trump that he's earned people's votes? Like, when he became the de facto nominee, if he wanted to prove that he was serious about, you know, earning the votes of Bernie Sanders supporters, he should have said straight up, this is my new position on healthcare, healthcare for all, Medicare for all. You know what happened instead? Stocks for medical, medical companies skyrocketed. Mm. That's, and those are the people funding his campaign. And so I just like won't be accepting any vote shaming from any liberals like come November because yeah. it's, just, it's just hot air at this point and like ego boosting. And making Mm -hmm. them, and when they're white liberals, especially making themselves feel better about the fact that it's their own kinsmen who are re-electing Trump and, you know, just further entrenching white supremacy in this country. And they feed into it with their stupid, both sides are equal. Everybody should love each other. MLK said this. It's like, y'all don't even know what you're talking about. Isn't it funny how Bernie was an old white man, but no, you hear nothing about Biden. It's like that that was their go-to argument. <laughs> like, if that's really your go-to argument, I have some news for you about the Just other guy. casually erasing his Jewishness, which he, not to obviously play identity politics, but that was also significant because he happened to be Jewish and somewhat critical, obviously not critical enough, of Israel, or rather the Israeli government, which obviously is not going far enough. But for people who are so obsessed with like identity politics as well, that had no substance to them, like it just didn't matter. So obviously they're just customizing and tailoring, essentially cherry picking for 
whatever suits their argument. But yeah, you're right. Biden is not an old white man. And also the sexual assault allegations and Tara Reid, they're all like me too, me too, me too, me too, and support women and believe women. But when it affects one of their own or someone who has, in the way that they perceive it to be, somebody who has a chance against Trump, which is a joke, all of that gets thrown out of the window and there just, there's no principle whatsoever. So yeah, I mean, there's just so much hypocrisy. Putting aside everything else politics-wise, how do you expect people to be receptive to a movement that just has so many glaring double standards? You're obviously alienating people who are more radical on the left and those on the right are going to, to see that and be like, well, you've just proved our point. You guys are just cherry picking virtue signalers, essentially. I wanted to, I don't want to hold you up for two, actually, I do want to hold you guys up for a long time, but I know I can't. But this week, it is the Nakba, and it has been 72 years since the exile of Palestinians and the ethnic cleansing of Palestine in order to create what is now the state of Israel. How are we feeling? Like for me, when Nakba week arrives, I just, just Nakba in generally, I feel like Nakba is there all the time, right? We have to live with these memories and these realities and these stories from our families. But it just, I don't know, I can't help but despair. We're entering the seventh decade. So many of our elders have died or are going to die. And I don't know. I don't know. There's something that is just really upsetting about it. Golda Meir, the former prime minister of that state, said that the old will die and the young will forget. And I have faith in the fact that the young won't forget. But I mean, seeing some of the shit that we were just talking about on Twitter and knowing that a lot of our elders have died, like my grandparents and people who were born in Palestine who are no longer here, I kind of feel a sort of sadness and I don't feel invigorated. I used to feel a lot more invigorated and a lot more hopeful and I don't anymore. And I want to know if that's how you guys feel or are you a bit more optimistic? I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm a, a little bit more optimistic than you, but like I share the same like sentiments like around this time. I don't know, like it's, it's, it fluctuates for me between like really high energy of like, like you know like this is the time like this is because you like we know how social media works like we know how the world works like it has to be around a certain time for people to like start caring about it so it's like you know around neck but week it's like everybody's watching everybody's listening like we need to do like you know this 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 like we like pop out event after event after event like you know you feel really invigorated and then like and, and like that's one part of it but the other part of it is like when you kind of sit down and realize how personal this is for you like I feel like around around the same time uh for around the same time like every year I like rewatch this video of my grandpa where I had brought him uh for our apartheid week at my old university for him and a couple of other Nakba survivors to talk about other experience in the Nakba and um you know uh like one of one of the things that uh like always stuck with me was like the first time that he went back to Palestine was like 40 years later you know his last name was changed because you know the a lot of people's names changed after the Nekba so he took the name of his father his brother his brothers you know like uh not his brothers sorry but like his uh father's um 
uh, what's it called? Oh my god, I'm not gonna talk you through my lineage. Edit that part out. Anyways, <laughs> so his last name has changed. Uh, it was the first time he was seeing his sister in 40 years, so she was like, "What? Your name's not Al Hussein? Like, no, like, what's your new last name?" She was confused because he was like, "I'm Ziad Adi. Come pick me up in the airport." She had no idea that he was even coming. Um, it was his first time. He's from uh, the village Farradi, Al Farradi in Safad. Um, so he went there, and there was oh, absolutely you guys are from nothing Safad. there. Are you oh from my Safad? God, Galilee, Queens. Okay, so my dad's what? side is just like from just outside Safad. So from it's called Alma, and there's another place near Safad mm-hmm. called Saf Saf. So Bastiani, we say Safad. Sadly, Mahmoud Abbas is also from Safad, but we can. Okay, I'll take count. you in as Qadat Safad. What? I know. Whenever I say that, whenever I say that I'm from Safad, people are like, "Kifuwa Mahmoud Abbas, Kifuwa Abu dude." But yeah, he went back to Farradi. He went back to Qariyat uh, Farradi, and wow. there was nothing. There, there's nothing there. Like, there's no- nothing. He's like, all I saw was the granite headstone of my father. And that's the only thing left there. And trees and stuff like that. Even when you go on, like, Palestine Remembered, everything that's everything that's there is just nature. Like, you're not going to see any stone structures. It was completely demolished. Completely demolished. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, it fluctuates between, like, anger and then you, you put that aside for a second because you're so energized to, like, get people talking and get people out to, like, these events or, or um, to these, like, calls to action and statements. And then it's, like, when it's more, you're more, like, alone with yourself and able to reflect, it just gets so much more, I don't know, it just gets more, like, personal. And it, it kind of puts me in the same place that you were talking about. I feel like I'm really torn because, like, my hopelessness is, like, more, or, like, my cynicism. I shouldn't use the word hopelessness. I feel like my cynicism is, like, rooted in what I've seen at this point and, like, definitely the barrage of, like, news that we are exposed to on a daily basis. But especially, like, last summer, I spent my time in Jordan doing an academic, like, research project. So it was all based on, like, Palestinian identity and, like, talking about the Nakba and talking about if people would return to Palestine. Like, that was very central to, like, a lot of the interviews I was doing. Um, whether they were like oral interviews or written surveys and it's just so disheartening and it's really hard to stay hopeful when you see the camps I think that's like one thing that like presses on my conscience conscience like at all times like to see the refugee camps and to see that people have been in that situation for literally decades and to know that were it not for pure chance and circumstances I would have also been living that life it's just very like daunting and it's something that sits very heavily on me um and I definitely feel cynical because it's like you know like we're already dependent on UNRWA then Trump goes and cuts UNRWA and like we have so many like distinguished distinguished people in our community like here in the west but there's also like not enough being done in terms of that like international international like support of our people back home who are like dealing with the burden like the economic burden of like being a refugee in Jordan or like being a refugee in Lebanon or being a, re- a refugee in Syria or like even being in Palestine so it's just a lot um, but something that gives me hope like in the same breath like the condition of the refugee camps and like the fact that there's so many refugees and like the political solution isn't including them at all that's all very cynical but in the same breath, like, it's those refugees who give me hope. Like, my research results, I need to really get around to, like, writing an article and publishing them. But um, just the fact that, like, every single person I talk to 
said that like they believe in the right of return and that like they would return to Palestine and like if not return they like still at the very least would visit and like believe that like their children have the right to return and like if they so choose to live there like that's something that gives me a lot of hope um I think another thing that gives me a lot of hope is the people in Palestine themselves so I've only been to Palestine twice but like during both visits, especially my most recent one, which was in 2017, um, my family, we were able to visit Yaffa and like, that was very emotional because that's like my grandmother's city. Like, I don't know, it just gives you a lot of hope to be walking around like the old part of Yaffa, Ajami, which is like where all the Arab Palestinians live. And to just be able to go up and ask someone like, hey, do you know where this house is? My family didn't find my grandmother's house, but the fact that every single person we asked just knew, they just knew that we were Palestinians from the diaspora and that we were looking for clearly a relative's house and they did all they could they, to help us. And they all said at the end of every interaction, like something along the lines of like, welcome home or like, this is welcome your home. 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 Like yeah. that just gives me, it just gives me a lot of hope. And people in Palestine have no reason to be so welcoming, so like loving, so full of life. Like they're more full of life than people here. Like America, I feel like our life is like workplace sleep repeat. And like, of course, this is of course not to normalize the occupation because like whenever we talk about Palestinians back home, like being resilient, people are like, oh, see, that means that they aren't oppressed. Like, no, they're living under military occupation, but they're still the most vibrant and full of life people that you will ever meet. And that, that just gives me hope. Um, and part of my own just like personal faith and beliefs like I just don't think that like an injustice like this can go on forever and I just really think that like I mean this in like the least proselytizing and least I know because Zionists say the same thing but like we obviously don't mean it in like a God gave us this land kind of way but like I genuinely believe that like God's on our side not because like we think he's a real estate agent or like whatever Zionists believe, but like genuinely because like this is a cause for like justice and like we can't be oppressed forever. And like these like the Zionists know that and like the Israeli government knows that. And that's why they're working so hard to like quell the Palestinian people. But like they will never succeed. Like it's been 72 years and even if it takes another like 720 years, like they won't succeed. Mm -hmm. Like from beginning to end, I agree with you and I think that I definitely agree like like I like despite how many how many every year is like consistently remaining hopeful and um you know like the like I feel like a lot of us see like the like 1948 as like while it was like a historical turning point it wasn't also like a turning point in like identity like ah oh, these are the last real Palestinians like the like the old will die like Miss Golda but the but like we're still here aren't we you know like new the youth are gonna still you know the youth are still being created and they're going to have stories to share later on too. So like, I just feel like she should have put more thought into that before saying it. Uh, Cause it does not make sense and it does not withstand the test of time. I just feel like maybe because we're members of the diaspora and it's like, well, if I go on to have kids and I can't live in Palestine, like I've also been twice, but it's a whole thing. Like I only have Australian citizenship and if I want to go, I can only visit if I don't get fucking blacklisted touch wood but what do I have then right I'll have kids and of course I will teach them everything but part of me worries about a dilution where we're kind of in the diaspora and comfortable and for a lot of people it's kind of like well I mean and I call these Palestinians Jordanians 
who were just like, it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. Tell us we've, we've started our new lives here. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm sorry. That's just not how it's going to go down. But that's also the reality for some. And not everybody is going to take on Palestine as a duty or obligation in the same way that like we do, in the same way that we feel it. And I think a lot of, a lot of us think that if, if not consciously, subconsciously, a lot of us think the same way. It's just like, it's like, but like, we don't move, we don't like move like that. You know what I mean? Like Janine, like you're saying this, but knowing you, like you act every day as if like Palestinian liberation is around the corner. You know what I mean? Like you're working towards it still consistently. Like, even though we're like, oh, like there's all of these like possibilities, um, or all these negative possibilities that could happen. And I, I, I think that we all think that honestly, but uh, like subconsciously it's like a hidden like doubt or hidden fear but it's just like the important part is that like we don't we don't act on that kind of and i i just had like a story about that because like even if we like and stuff like that and we think like oh like this is so like dreadful and awful and then you and then you like talk to um like the residents i know that like a lot of my family um that are in uh lebanon are in a place called shaim but they're also scattered around a couple of the camps in Baddawi and um Ain oh, and neighbors. really um yeah my my grandpa grew up in Shatila. but um but yeah like you know i have family around those areas but um but the past couple of summers i was in burj Shmali, and um that is that and Rashidiya are the closest to Palestine. Um, but even though it's the closest to Palestine, like it's the closest area to Palestine, actually a lot of them are from Safad. So if you go to the south-south, you can see Safad, you know? But yeah. um, because of the way that their mobility is so restricted, like they can't actually go see it um, or unless they get a permit for it. So, you know, like just despite all of these things, like kind of how I was talking about earlier, like you might think certain things, but you don't move like it and how Nuran was talking about how um a lot of people a lot of like you know the elders that she spoke to are hoping that like you know like we hope for a free Palestine we hope that our kids can go see it and everything like that um what was so not not interesting just because like we've like always you know had the same like thought that um you know like the Palestinian refugees in their like resilience and steadfastness are on the front lines of liberation and everything um, but we, I had uh, befriended one of the um, people that worked in the center with us, and uh, he had actually like started like a farm. Like he started a farm, and when he sat us down and kind of like he invited us to the farm and was explaining his reasons for the for the farm, he said the land here is really similar to the land in Safad. So when I go back because Palestine's going to be liberated in my lifetime. When I go back, I, I want to be able to, um, yeah, I want to be able to farm Aww. the land the way that my, like, grandpa did. So I'm starting this farm here so I can, like, get the hang of it before, you know, like, this I go back practice. to Palestine. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, I was <laughs> like, guy. that's it. Habib Albi, I love that. Something Janine said that I just feel like there's also an answer to, but, like, it's not something that I realized until, like, very later on it's like yeah like being in the diaspora is like really scary like it's scary to think that like our kids are going to be born in like australia america like wherever and like if palestine like still isn't free by then like what's going to happen right like how like what will their identity look like and it's just like or like what will palestine even look like right because like we use this word of like diluted like 
what if Palestine is like liberated, which like, again, it will be, but it doesn't fit that picture of like what we've been told by our grandparents, because like our grandparents mm-hmm. are telling us like stories of the past Palestine and like the current Palestine and like the future Palestine are going to look very different. And it's just, it, I feel compelled to say that like, this is why I have such immense respect for Noura Irakat, like uh, besides the fact that she's a badass Palestinian woman who is doing all this amazing like academic work and just like out here like owning Zionists, like owning the libs, but like owning the libs Zionists. <laughs> um, she's doing all of this like amazing work. Like she touches on this idea of like, yeah, the future is scary because like we don't know what it looks like. And she has like, int- well, she like didn't introduce it, but like she's someone who talks about it a lot. And like Zionists, can never argue with her about it because she's like radical Palestinian futurism like Palestine isn't going to look like 1940s Yaffa or like Safad in like the 1940s but like this is what it can look like like if we make it so because like now not to sound like an e-girl but like we can manifest that like we can make that happen (laughs) (laughs) just will it believe in it manifest it part of it is scary but I just really think that like as long as we continue to like as uh, Jenna was saying, like, you know, live every day as if, like, liberation is around the corner. Like, we can manifest, like, what we want, like, a liberated Palestine to look like. And it's going to be very different, but um, from the past and, like, right now, but I think it'll happen and it'll be amazing. I love that. Retweet. Well, Jenna has just kindly let us know that her phone's at 3% battery. So, uh, <laughs> and no, oh, I thought you might like 3% off. Up. But you guys are like two incredible Palestinian women. Yalla, go and conserve your energy before iftar. What are you having for iftar, Nuran, just quickly? We know this one's having steak. We're having nukhiya. Okay, can I just say one thing? Nobody makes nukhiya like me, so I'll send you my <laughs> recipe. Don't worry. I've tried everyone else's. I've hated everyone's <laughs> And on that note, this is the end of this episode of Undivine Intervention. Feel free to keep listening. And if you'd like, check out my Patreon page, which is connected to my Twitter, where all the hot takes are, at Janine AK. And I hope you'll stick around for the next episode. I'm excited. So I also want to hear what you guys might be interested in hearing about or hearing discussed. So feel free to hit me up. Salamat.